Welcome to this week's episode of the Triathlete Hour. We're talking with the legendary Karen Smyers, who is still the only woman to win the ITU world title and Kona in the same year, just five weeks apart back in 1995. She also overcame a string of bad luck in the late 90s, a storm window that fell and sliced her hamstring, getting hit by an 18-wheeler being diagnosed with thyroid cancer. But it all didn't stop her from getting to the first ever Olympic trials. She also talks to us about her more recent challenges with hypertrophic cardiomyopathy and what she's learned over the years. Through it all, she wouldn't change anything. And first, a quick chat with Sid as we both prepare for Challenge Roth and for the infamous Roth after party. And we try to dissect the whirlwind season of races. All of that after this quick break. Want to get more out of your rides beyond just distance, time, and pace? How about advanced navigation and the ability to see upcoming hills on your route? The Hammerhead Karoo 2 helps you find your path forward and unlock your full potential. Hammerhead's Karoo 2 seamlessly imports routes with turn-by-turn directions. The touchscreen display is also intuitive, responsive, and in full color, so you can see clearly in any conditions during all of your hardest workouts. Plus, Hammerhead's exclusive predictive path technology lets you visualize and prepare for upcoming gradient changes in real time with or without a route loaded. That's why it's a favorite of top triathletes like Flora Duffy and Vincent Louis. Now, Hammerhead is giving Triathlete Hour listeners an exclusive limited time offer. Get a free heart rate monitor with the purchase of a Hammerhead Karoo 2. Visit hammerhead.io right now and use promo code TRIATHLETEHOUR at checkout to get yours today. Now that's a free heart rate monitor with the purchase of a Karoo 2. Go to hammerhead.io, add both items to your cart and use promo code TRIATHLETEHOUR, all one word. All right, Sid, we are less than two weeks out from Roth. Both of us are in peak have no idea what's going on in the world. <laughs> we are so sharp in our conversation at the moment. <laughs> this could be a very interesting episode. I think we're both in that very mushed, mushed brain state of two weeks training before a full distance. And we were talking about how there are these things that happen that if you've been through like really like intense training blocks, you're like, oh yeah, I like lose my ability to walk. But if you tell them to somebody else, they sound terrible. They sound insane. Like... Yeah. yeah. I fell asleep yeah. sitting up. It is. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's pretty mental. It's like, yeah, I could. I took me 30 minutes to walk a kilometer <laughs> the other day and thought I had to take a nap halfway. <laughs> we used to joke, if you're not crying in your car, like, are you even ready? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I feel a bit like that at the moment. Exactly. It's great. Everybody should do triathlon. It's great. It's awesome. It's awesome. Everyone <laughs> should do a full distance. Definitely. Don't just stick to the sprints and the Olympics because they're really, they're so much fun and you're done by breakfast. Oh, I don't know. This will be, yeah. I will see. I have no plans after this. You have like an actual, you still have Kona and a whole nother. I'm like, eh, I think I'm yeah. just going to drink. I'm just going for the after party. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty crazy. Like I come back from Roth and I'm back in Girona for a couple of weeks and then literally head to Canada for the PTO race. Mm-hmm. 
and then in the US then through to October, November. So yeah. It's constant racing. I am really just going to Roth to report on the super secret after party that you're not allowed to bring phones to. That's my whole reason. And you're not allowed to report. And you're not allowed to report on it. It's a really tricky one. How are you going to report on the after party that you're not allowed to report on? (laughs) I'm going to be intrigued to see this This is my whole reason. It very much is. It's like what goes on stays in Roth and... There's very much no phones allowed. We'll see. Uh, obviously, the whole big news, too, is Jan's coming now. Jan's coming yep. uh, to make his, I don't even know, return to racing. He <sighs> is like favorite child of mm-hmm. of Roth, obviously, being German and his results he's had. And just his, you know, his charisma. They all absolutely love him. Yeah, no, it's been quite funny watching the banter with, uh, with um, I was going to say Lionel then, but it's not Lionel, it's Sam. Right. And uh, like who's coming out of retirement and the old man needs hearing aids and stuff like that. It's been quite amusing, but yeah, it's, uh, look, it's great for the race. Um, on the men's side, you've got now Patrick Langer, Sebi Kinley, Jan, who've all won the event before. Um, plus then add in Sam Long, like Cam Brown mm-hmm. is there, which is awesome. Like he turned, there was this, it's Cam Brown's 50th birthday right, today. Right. It's, I think, I'm going to get this wrong. It's 30 years of Roth. It's, oh, it's the 20th anniversary 20, 20 of Roth. Years, 20 years of yeah. Roth. And Cam was like there at the mm-hmm. start. And so that's going to be super excited. So it's, look, you know, Jan on any start list is always, always a exciting. great addition to the race. Yeah. And especially one in Germany. So so it'll be all about the after party. Yeah. That's so all about the after, after party. After he sets yeah. his world record or whatever he's here yeah, to yeah. do. Yeah. Which I'm not sure I've ever actually seen Jan at the after party. Mm. So maybe that, maybe we'll have to... Uh, Break that news. But obviously I couldn't possibly say whether right. he's been at the after party or not because I can't report. <laughs> can't report. It's top secret. Top secret. If I tell you, I'll have to kill you and this like, this podcast episode will explode <laughs> in like 30 seconds or something as people are listening exactly. to Exactly. So, but there is too many things going on. I mean, we were just sitting here trying to look at all the results and the race is coming up and it's, I mean, even just like the races the last two weekends, there's so many races coming up. There's so many, it's getting tough to even decide what to follow, what to pay attention to, yeah. what to race. And, and for some races, just really sad that it, they're quite diluted fields because mm-hmm. there's so much going on. And whether it's on this weekend or the next few weekends, like if they're for various reasons, you know, you haven't just got the depth to some level, the depth of the athletes. And so it's, you know, some events are great start lists and others have got three on, which isn't really doing any of us any favors. But yeah, there is a lot on at the moment, just trying to keep up across <laughs> like short course and WTS. And, you know, obviously Commonwealth Games is coming up for all of us Commonwealth countries. Right. So that's pretty like trying to keep track on team selection and that sort of thing. Um, and then, yeah, add in Ironman challenge, everything else. I actually well, think, I think maybe we just find it hard because we're in that brain. No, no, you have state. to like, in order, like literally 70.3 uh, European yeah. champs for this weekend. And you and I were just yes. going to start list. And in order to know who's dropped out, you have to like personally follow their social media, each individual yeah. person's Instagram and like have yeah. talked to them and be like, Oh, well they're actually racing this other race, but the, and that's not like that's not a way it, to yeah. do anything. There's a few athletes that are on quite a few start mm-hmm. lists on the next few, like two, uh, one athlete who shall remain nameless, and it's not our usual suspect, but um, she's on like two I, full Ironman start lists this weekend. Plus, is down to race Roth the following weekend, 
plus is on the 70.3 list. Yeah. It's just like, how how are we allowing this to start with? And it makes no sense when you're trying to like work out who is actually right. racing. So you do, you have to go to social media and like, who's posted that they're catching a flight somewhere or they're missing a bike or they're, <laughs> they're doing something else. And you feel like that's not how basketball works. That's not how, that's not how you build a fan base by making no. it hard. Like if I don't know, nobody knows, right? Like that's yeah. too complicated because yeah. So the Ironman 70.3 European championships are this weekend in Elsinore. I think they're this week. Yeah. And we will be yes. airing them on outside TV, obviously. Yeah. Um, I think. I should double check that. And that always has a big start list. But then I'm looking at it and it's like Emma Pallant, um, Ruth Astle, and Holly Lawrence. But then you said Holly Lawrence is out. So yeah. um But I think Ashley, like I think Ellie Salthouse is I saw her Instagram saying she's about to start her journeys out of <laughs> Australia world trip. So I'm assuming that's going. Ashley Gentle, I think, is up in Andorra at the moment, so I'm assuming she's going down. Um, you would imagine like India Lee, Sarissa Devere's, right. all of those guys are as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, then on the men's side, I know Chris Lieferman, he's been in Girona. He's definitely sure going. He's going. Yeah. yeah. So uh, Daniel Beckergaard, Mikai. But it's confusing because some of these people are also on. Just We're just complaining yeah. now. But the Ironman Frankfurt is also this weekend. And it's the men yeah. Ironman's European Championship. But yeah. not the women's because the women's in Hamburg. But it does have a women's field. And some of these people are also on that list. So... Yeah. Who knows? Maybe they're just going to decide this week, like, am I in Ironman shape or not? <laughs> like, yeah, or 70.3 right. yeah, yeah. shape. <laughs> Which one do I fancy doing? Yeah. They're kind of near enough. It's Europe. Right, it's right. So, yeah. yeah. It'll be interesting. And then we'll of races we've missed in the last two weeks, uh, there was Ironman Carnes, Cairns, Carnes, Corns, however you say it, and Cairns. Ironman Des Moines, which is the North American Ironman Championship. And the Asia Pacific And the Asia Pacific Ironman Championship. Yeah, complicated. So we had, um, so let's go in, start in the Southern Hemisphere. Max Newman won mm-hmm. Cairns for the third year in a row, mm-hmm. which is pretty impressive because he's still probably relatively unknown. Well, that's a bit harsh. Not a huge name as such. Relatively unknown scene. is perfectly fine. Is that okay? okay? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, obviously, he's, I mean, he's won Cairns three years in a row, but, and he's, he's BMC team, but I think probably. From America and the global global world, he's not as well known. Um, but beat Braden Curry um, in that race, and then Sarah Crowley won on the women's side. Right, pretty but ahead of Radka Kaudefelt, who yeah. made wasn't quite her debut. She's tried to do a full distance before, but was sick. I, yeah, I was like, I so think it's finish. pretty much her Ironman debut. But though, it's kind yeah. of her debut. Yeah. yeah, and she finished second, so that's another on debut, a bit like Chelsea, mm-hmm. on debut second and her her spot in Kona. The, the other crazy thing about Cairns was that it was, because it was a regional championship, there were three Kona slots, mm-hmm. and a couple have already got them, so it rolled down to like... Well, that's always nice. ...seventh or eighth place. Well, that's what happened yeah, at so, Des Moines two because yes. it was also so, a regional yeah, championship and there were three spots and so we already had them because yeah. you ended up like Lindsay corbin but that was a super exciting battle because <laughs> you've got like Lindsay, who you know is trying to get to kona for the 15th, 15th time or world champs 15th time and is just like one of those nice peoples of the, the triathlon and then susie cheatham who also has had incredible results at kona both had sort of a few mixed years of racing with 
very you know various things as most people have and they were like both coming back like trying to battle right. and at one point they were both in like the last battling for like the last Kona slot and it was like oh gosh okay. what's gonna happen and then thankfully well for them they both managed to move up right. to get the to get the slots but that was quite quite cool and uh and Jenanette Jenanette Jenna finished second and she got, got her spot, spot so yeah um Sky won, but that yeah, was Sky. By, Sky, by, Sky wins. Yeah. Um, Sky. And then obviously yeah. on the men's side, Tim O'Donnell getting his Kona spot to return yes. after his heart attack um, is yeah. is kind of the big news, the exciting. Yeah, and it was like for me personally, it was super exciting because we had the whole like Matt Hansen <laughs> one, so he's a he's a JD crew, TO's JD crew, and obviously with his um, coming back after the last couple of years, that was super awesome. And then even. Andre Lopez, he's Boulder based and often trains with us. So it was really cool seeing those three boys off the front. Um, but yeah, so that was yeah another North. And I think Matt's like now, isn't Matt? He's one won of the, the North most American Championships a bunch of championships times. Yeah, most times. yeah, a lot yeah. of times. Yeah, it will be I interesting. Mean, he was second. He was second at Chattanooga seventy point three, which was North American Championships. There's, there's so, many there then, so many yeah, champs. So many champs. It's exactly. impossible to follow. Um, it will yeah. be interesting, obviously, to see how because that's of course not Tim in peak form by all means. No. Um, but it's also like hard to go back to that. Well, after you haven't for like two and a half years yeah. or whatever. Yeah. So it'll be interesting yeah, exactly. to see kind of what and happens I think from here. Probably. I'm sure it was just like so much in his mm-hmm. head about what's the body going to do, even though like he's been yeah. training and everything's been okay. And he's got all the clears. Like you're still, when you go to that race, it's a full distance. Right. And it's like, I mean, he told um, us, so yeah. I mean, we've talked to him, we did a story about it, right. That, it was just a genetic freak thing. It would have happened kind of whether he was yeah. triathloning or if anything, yeah. now he like is safer because he has the stent in and it's like more, yeah. it was, it was yeah. caught. Um, but it's yeah. still, it's gotta be in your head. You're still, it yeah. gets in your head. Yeah. yeah. And, then, and then on the short course, we had Leeds. Which I actually think was the most exciting like, race out of all the races yeah. that have happened. Like there's like been, I don't know, 20, 70.3s in the world. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Leeds is actually the craziest race. Is the and there's not that many World Triathlon Championship. Re- there's only like five in a year or six in a year, so yeah. it's a lot more. And it was concentrated. Yeah, it was a sprint distance as well. Um, and Leeds, I think, like last year, they last year they finished it up a hill, yeah, which did. I thought was quite brutal. Yeah. This year they finished down a hill, which was also <laughs> quite brutal. Like we saw quite a few athletes wipe out on the run because they're just like legs you know right. legs couldn't go as fast as they wanted to go but um there were a lot of and then i don't know what want to call them mistakes incidents, incidents. we we called our story incidents. even the pros miscount laps sometimes yes yes so that was um for those if they haven't seen it i'm sure it'll be a meme or something coming out on social media over the next little while um vincent louis was in a breakaway with his fellow frenchman and they were coming. He looked like he, it looked like on the last lap, he was trying to get a bit of a lead on his own as he came into transition. Cause he kind of broke, there was two of them together. And then he broke away from his, his teammate, but then didn't get off the bike and just literally went straight through the blue carpet. And because it was the last lap, they'd already closed off the barriers for the bike course. Cause obviously they're going on to the run. And you just saw him like the brakes went on, his body weight shifted right to the back of the bike as he kind of like plowed into the fencing and the barrier. That's actually impressive. He like saved it. He didn't crash. He like got off, ran back and then like ran his way into 10th. I mean, 
Like, yeah, and obviously he had to serve a 10-second penalty for missing the dismount line by quite <laughs> well, a long quite way. Quite a lot, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, like, prior to that, and then Hayden Wilde went on to win, which was super exciting because he's such an exciting talent. But it, I felt so gutted for him. He just won his first WTS race, like, should be super static and excited, and his finish line interview you could just see it was this whole mix of emotions of like he should have been over the moon and yet he was I guess plagued with guilt rightly or wrongly I don't think like I think that's just racing but he felt he had I think he like brought down from what I gather athletes yeah, in the race was he and was gutted about that but it was a real wheels, shame it took away yeah, yeah it, I just think it was a shame because it took away mm-hmm. from the win that he should be celebrating but yes he he touched wheels or he touched instant. elbows and then the other person went down and then took down Alex Yee and Johnny Brownlee and Johnny has yeah. a broken elbow who I actually talked yeah. to this morning for a different article he seems he seems to think he'll be back for Commonwealth I'm Games sure, yeah. Um, yeah yeah I mean their road the road yeah. rush on both of them yeah. was pretty bad yeah um and as you do, I'm sure in the heat of the moment, as with any athlete does, there's a few words. Said, I'm sure. I think, you know. It is one so, of those interesting yeah. things. It's such a small little, everyone knows everyone on that circuit. It's such a small yeah. circuit that, yeah. And yeah. I think Hayden genuinely felt really, really bad. But there were these like kind of, it was clear people were talking about other people, but you didn't really, it was all very like in between the lines. You had to like know yeah, yeah. what was going, like who was saying yeah. what about who. It was like a bit cri- it's a bit cryptic. A bit cryptic, a bit, bit throwing yeah. shade is what we would say. But you wouldn't know unless you, like, I didn't even know what they meant, but they clearly, yeah. clearly there was some stuff they were done. Um, yeah, yeah. But that happened. And then, and then Mark, yeah, like you said, some people wiped out running into the Plus finish. Wiped, wiped out, out into the finish. Into the finish. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it was kind of a crazy race. Yeah. And then the women's side. Um, Everyone counted all their laps on the women's side. Everyone counted all their laps on the women's side. Um, <laughs> And that, but we, what well, we did have, Cassandra Bergrant missed the dismount line or the, the mount line, I'm not sure. So she got a 10 second penalty, mm. but she was so far ahead on the run that she took the 10 second penalty right before the finish. And it was like, lazy. she didn't even look behind her to see where the other athletes were. It was so <laughs> impressive. She just ran over into the box, 10 seconds, and the camera was like looking straight down. And you could see the athletes coming, but they were too far away. And then she just carried on. But it was, um, I think like the exciting thing in the women's race was there was four of them that got away out of transition on the bike. So Sophie Caldwell, Taylor Spivey, Flora Duffley and, and Cassandra Bogrand, which, you know, you'd probably expect right. those guys to be there. Maybe Georgia Taylor Brown potentially would have been in that breakaway. But um, and it was clear when the first on the first lap or in the first little bit that Cassandra Bergrand wasn't going to come to the front to take a turn. Like the others were mm-hmm. working pretty well. And, but it looked like she was just going to sit at the back and then obviously wait for the run. Choices, tactics, you know. Exactly. Totally. And obviously, well, then Flora <laughs> was not decided having that. She didn't, she didn't like this tactic and it was amazing. I've never seen anyone do this in the race, but she let Sophie, or this is what it looked like. She let Sophie Coldwell and Taylor Spivey go ahead. Flora sat third wheel with Cassandra Bergrand on, a first, four, on, the, on her wheel and in fourth. Then Flora let a gap emerge between Taylor, Sophie and Flora. So it looked like she was getting dropped. And obviously then Cassandra's on, right. on Flora's wheel. 
let the gap get big enough and then Flora just like put the hammer down and jumped across and left Cassandra like for dust and she was swallowed up by the chase pack. Um, unfortunately, Flora then sort of got dropped off to that lead pack as well, but I think she's still sort of struggling coming back from, Co- from double COVID. COVID. I mean, she's had COVID yeah. like twice now, yeah. yeah. And then, yeah, so then Cassandra still ran herself through to the lead in impressive style. Uh, Sophie Coldwell got on the, the podium mm-hmm. and Georgia Taylor-Brown ran into second, I think, wasn't it? So, yeah. I do think the, um, I mean, people, like the notion that you can just run and swim now, it's not, it's not a thing. That's no. Yeah. yeah, it's all no. there's a lot of a lot of bike skills at this point happening. Yeah, and we should yeah. note Gustav Eden came in last. Came in last, but he didn't have his yeah. lucky hat apparently. So this is the problem. Oh, is that why yeah. he didn't have his lucky hat? Apparently, the the, uh, um, the cap. Yeah, yeah. Ah, interesting. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the Norwegians the are invincible, and they aren't as invincible as we think they are. I mean, they're not, especially. I mean, obviously, they're like the best athletes in the world. But I'm just saying, we have a tendency to think that like they never have bad days, or that yeah. you know it was overnight. And if you look at it, there are ups and downs always. So yeah, totally. Anyway, so we have lots of races coming up, though, and then you have all the ones we just mentioned this weekend. We have the PTO. Canadian Open coming up, US Open, those are going to be big. And a lot of athletes are even choosing to focus on that, obviously, and not do yep. one of the 37 70.3s. <laughs> and then you have Commonwealth Games, which you guys all care about. Yep. That's big for yes. you guys. Yes. Yes. Huge. Huge. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just like a lot of stuff. And then Super League announced their season, and that's all of September as well. Yeah. It's a lot of and stuff. And then it's Kona. And then it's Kona. And 70.3 Worlds, and, and then we like feel like we're all back here again in like, St. George. Oh, my God. Yeah. I think Hopefully it's good. Hopefully next year my set. Like, it is, it is good, I think. I mean, I think this year, again, we're still like in the aftermath of, right. I say aftermath, it's still going on, isn't it, really? Like, a lot of races were pushed back and postponed or rescheduled, so it just feels like there's everything. And then I think new races are trying to pop up, and it's just like crazy. Whereas we just need a, maybe another couple of years to settle again and the, the key races to kind of shake out. It is. A, it's a, I think I called it in one of my like corporate presentations last week, an inflection point in the sport. I think we're waiting to see kind of what happens, yeah. you what know, happens? what happens next. Yeah. If all the triathletes come yeah. back or if they all go to gravel. Yeah, yeah that is true. Maybe I, maybe I should try and get that in my presentation that I keep procrastinating at the moment. An inflection point? <laughs> There's nothing to do with track. Well, it's to do with performance, but I'm not sure how I can get inflection point in. It could be a good challenge, though. Maybe yeah. I'll try that one. Yeah. <laughs> but we will be back, um, and we will be back with an episode from Roth at the super secret yeah. after party. <laughs> maybe. Super secret. I'll have to, if I tell you, I'll have to kill you after party. Exactly. Nothing happens. Nothing happens. So... <laughs> All right, well, I'll see you yeah. soon then in Germany. See you in Roth. Yep. See you in Roth. Thanks, Kelly. Don't forget, tens of thousands of cyclists have chosen the Karoo 2 as their trusted riding companion. It was named Bicycling Magazine's Editor's Choice in GPS Cycling Computers for the past two years. And now, Hammerhead is giving Triathlete Hour listeners an exclusive limited time offer. Get a free heart rate monitor with the purchase of a Hammerhead Karoo 2. Visit hammerhead.io right now and use promo code triathletehour at checkout to get yours today. That's a free heart rate monitor with the purchase of a Karoo 2. Go to hammerhead.io, add both items to your cart, and use promo code triathletehour, all one word.
All right. This week, we're talking to Karen Smyers, seven-time national champion, four-time world champion. And Karen, I just realized that in 95, you won Kona. And then five weeks later, you won the ITU world championship. And you're still the only woman. To- now, we obviously have some guys who've done that. But you're still the only woman. Just uh, one just guy. One guy. Um, it's, it was Mark Allen. And uh, he did it in a different order. He did uh, the Olympic right. distance first and then the Ironman. But... Um, yeah, maybe, you know, Chris so certainly looks like he might be I was like, I guess, I guess technically <laughs> it wasn't the same year for him because they were like April and yeah. So. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. No, he, he hasn't done it yet according to, yeah, how, how we, we right. make the, uh, <laughs> the rule. <laughs> but he certainly seems like he, he's capable. How hard is that though? Turning around five weeks later for an Olympic distance sounds rough. You know, it's, it wasn't as hard as you think. And a lot of things went in my favor in that, um, I mean, part of it was just luck, you know, (laughs) like sometimes you're in shape and the race goes your way and other times it doesn't. The couple things I had going for me in Cancun at the Olympic distance was it was super hot. So I was heat acclimated Mm. from Hawaii. Um, so, you know, having it in another really hot tropical venue was great, um, and then um, it was the first draft legal hmm. one, um, Olympic distance race. So um, we were still figuring it out. And so it wasn't really um, the case yet that the swimmers knew how to kind of get away and stay away. And I didn't have a great swim. Um, so I was in the big group of bikers and said, man, I didn't do as much work because there were five or six girls out front and they just weren't working together quite as well as they right. could have, I guess. And, um, I was with Emma Carney, who was at the time just like a biking right. fiend and she just kind of powered our group up. And I, I just said, yep, <laughs> stay with her and you'll be fine. And so I ended up, you know, not having to bike that hard, which certainly helped me. Um, since I you know, may have still had a little fatigue in my legs and, um, and so uh, then it just came down to a running race and yeah, I mean, Emma, I think was, um, maybe had something going on that she actually was a little bit sick and McKeely Jones had not gone because it was draft <laughs> legal and she was kind of protesting. So I was like, oh, there you go. I didn't realize. <laughs> you can only win, you know, race the yeah, people that Yeah, I didn't up, realize you know? that, uh, it went draft legal in 95. That's interesting. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I, ironically, I was an ITU delegate um, and the U.S. was one of the only countries uh, or one of the only major countries that was sort of fighting against really? the change. And so I had gone to the Congress a couple of days before the race and spoken out against um, the draft legal format, just thinking it was kind of going to turn it into a runner swimmer race, you know, and kind of negate the biking. And uh, and then uh I was so stressful to speak in front of the Congress, especially like Les McDonald was, you know, putting tons huh. of pressure on everybody to get on of, board, you know, I don't know, go against <laughs> us. Yeah. And so I remember after the Congress, I just found my husband and uh, we went out and I'm like, I need a margarita. <laughs> and I'm like drinking margaritas and thinking that, you know, I already won Hawaii, you know, it's, it's okay if I don't have a great race here. I'm so stressed, you know, and then maybe just the, you know, being a little more relaxed about it, I ended up being able to have a great race. Yeah. And it was pretty funny um, looking back at it. And then obviously we lost the battle, but, you know, certainly has ended up being kind of cool the way the, the races have turned out with the- yeah, yeah. I mean, it worked out. And it's like, I don't even know how you do non-drafting at the Olympic distance now. It just like, I, Exactly. Yeah. Just the, yeah, the officiating. But yeah, I still have in my, um, if I, if I, I was in charge, charge okay. <laughs> maybe what I would do is I would have a prologue mm-hmm. where 
you do a time trial kind of maybe even just a sprint format time trial everybody has to swim bike run on their own and mm. put up a time and those people qualify for the final which oh, is draft legal and maybe it's you know i don't know how many people but um then you get an equal balance of swimmers bikers runners because you know in order to do the time trial well you have to be able to do all three and so i think it would cuz the way it is it's sort of evolved is only the best the swimmers group, yeah. sort of <laughs> make it into the races, you know. And so a lot of the really good bikers um, kind of don't bother with Olympic distance anymore, you know. They just go straight to, to the Ironman. It's an interesting point. Or half Ironman. Yeah, you have to be a really good swimmer and at so, the IT. Well, whatever they're calling it now. Yeah, yeah. Or it yeah. just eliminates you, you know. Whereas it used to be that you could, you know, be not a great <laughs> swimmer. But if you were a super biker runner, you could get back into the fold, you know. So I thought just to maybe have a little more and, and just to make sure people have to be able to bike in order. They can't just suck in the pack and be a great. Yeah, swimmer. it doesn't happen as much anymore. Or or even, you know, not just hire someone from your team <laughs> to be your escort on the bike, which I that's the other thing I, I don't like about the current format is that, you know, a, a country that has three people can, um, you know, hire two of them to, you know, bring you to the finish line and it really hurts those countries that only have one yeah it hasn't worked great though the people have tried to do the domestic tactic it's like never really worked out as well as they like think it's going to yeah 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 well didn't i don't know it seemed like (laughs) maybe maybe maybe. (laughs) (laughs) all right well i guess we should (laughs) well how about for i guess for qualifying i think there has been some impact that people have hired people just to help them qualify for their team you know, paid someone yeah. off. But like what the Olympics has never really worked out. Whenever they try to employ a domestic yeah, tactic, yeah. it never, never really works. Yeah. Right. right. Well, but I've, I've, they definitely they've tried, tried it. it. And what it means is they put someone on the mm-hmm. team to be a domestic instead of someone that really earned it on their own that could have, you know, been better than that person um, in all, you know, in terms of overall performance. It's the whole, it's so, how the Olympics go. Um, I always kind of felt bad for those people. <laughs> I feel yeah. like we should always start, like go back now, though, and, and talk about like how you even got into triathlon. Okay. Uh, I know. Yeah. We're getting into the, into exactly. the weeds. <laughs> so you start, you actually, uh, you ran and swam at Princeton, right? And so it wasn't until after you graduated that you even like found out about how but like you did your first triathlon in like 84. Like how do you even find out about triathlon in 1984? Yeah. So I was lucky that I had a college roommate hmm. that found out about it for me. So um, actually my very first exposure to it was my senior year in college. I remember this so well that there was a guy in my dorm that headed out on his bike when I was like headed to breakfast and I saw him biking off. And then at like four in the afternoon, I saw him biking back in <laughs> like, what? and I'm like, has he been biking all day long, you know? And, and someone said, oh, yeah, he's training for this event called, like, the Ironman. And I was like, what the heck is that, you know? And so that's the first I'd ever heard of anything like that. And um, um, but then it was, you know, when I graduated the sum- that summer, my college roommate, who was more of a runner, but she also um, was a good swimmer. And um, and she had found out about this triathlon in Boston called the Bud Light, and she decided that she was going to train hard for it instead of getting a summer <laughs> job because there was prize money that could maybe you know be more lucrative than having a summer job. And she ended up getting some prize money, and uh, I was like, "That's really cool. Can I train with you next for next year?" <sighs> so we actually moved to Boston together and um, and started uh, training and going to races together. Okay, so there was prize money back then. 
how much how much prize money was there back then? Oh, you know, okay. very small. You know, there was there was a Bud mm-hmm. Light series, and that um, that had money, and the you know, like the Coke Grand Prix kind of thing was just kind of getting started, I think. Um, but you know, my information back then about the sport, um, you know, once I kind of got hooked, I uh, I started looking for Triathlon right. Magazine, and that was you know my only kind of information came from that there right. was no internet to look things up and um so every i remember that i knew about what time it would come into the stores and there was this one store that would get two or three copies and so i had to be there you know the day it came in in order to make sure i got one and remember at my lunch hour always going by this little um drug store to see if the triathlete magazine <laughs> oh, was there and then i would just you know like read it cover to cover finding out about these you know cool athletes out in california that were you know doing it as pros like colleen cannon and paula newby frazier and beth mitchell and yeah i was i was pretty uh all mesmerized. right so you got all into it in the 80s and and it's not was there only one triathlon in boston or were there like multiple in the east coast there were so Dave mm-hmm. McGilvery, um, who you may have heard of, is uh, you know race director of Boston Marathon now. But his start was he did the Ironman mm-hmm. early on, like I think the yeah. second or third year maybe, and uh, he came back and started uh, a company called Dave McGilvery Sports Enterprises, and he started putting on a New England series of triathlons. He was okay. kind of the first big race promoter in our area, and um, so we would generally, I mean. He pretty much knew every triathlete in the area because you would go to the same races every, you know, couple of weeks. Everyone would go to the New England Triathlon right. Vermont race. And then, you know, two weeks later it would be the New England Triathlon New Hampshire. You know, they had, he had a series that you would go to every New England state. And um, and then he put on this cool one um, called the Bay State Triathlon. And uh, in 1980, let's see. Yeah, in 90, uh, he had some prize money. So he would bring in, he brought in Colleen Cannon and Scott Tinley and Dave Scott. And um, it was a little bit longer than Olympic distance. And that was one of my first big races where I got to kind of race against, you know, the people I'd read (laughs) about in the magazines. And uh, and I ended up winning it. And um, that kind of, you know, kind of catapulted me into this new, uh, yeah, idea of where I could go in the sport, I guess. Um, but at the time that that was in 1985 and I was still racing, um, I was still right, working right. full time. I worked at a computer consulting company. So, um, you know, I was still, I was fitting my, my training in, in the morning before work. Not, not that often cause I'm not really a morning <laughs> person, but I would use my lunch hour quite a bit, um, to, uh, I would, I was only a mile or two from the MIT pool and I would just either, um, run or bike over there, do a little swim and come back and then um, do something after work generally. So uh, I was fitting it all in. And, you know, at the time, I, it was still getting better. But my biking was a huge uh, weakness because that was the harder thing. At the time, yeah. Sometimes my only training would be biking to and from work, which was four <laughs> miles each way, you know. Um, and so uh, I think it was 1989 that my company went on half time for a summer because um I wasn't doing any work during my two hour lunch breaks. No. <laughs> they were just having some issues and they decided to kind of um give us a a little break over the summer to um save money. And so I used that time to get better okay. at biking. Just I'm like, okay, it's my worst. I'm gonna make myself bike before I run and swim. Um, because I need to work on my weakness and, uh, my biking definitely took a a jump up finally there. 
And, and so did you go um, back to the computer coming? At the coding? end of that yeah. summer, I had qualified for the national okay. team, the first ever ITU World Championships were in Avignon. And that had been my big goal was to try and qualify for that. And uh, there were three races and it took me three <laughs> to finally get my spot. Um, and to be honest, in the final, that third race, I, during the race, I used to get passed by everybody on the bike because um, it was my, you know, I I'd had a good swim because I had my college swimming background. And then one by one, I just watched <laughs> people blow by me on the bike. And uh, I was like, what is wrong with me? I was getting so mad at myself and um, I wasn't doing myself any favors in terms of you know, counting like I was trying to qualify for this national team. So I was very aware right. of what place I was in all the time. And I think it was really hurting my <laughs> performance that I was not concentrating on what I was doing. I was like, oh my God, now I'm in third, now I'm in fourth, now I'm in fifth, you know, and just getting more and more anxiety ridden with every person that passed me. Um, but uh, during that bike ride, I absolutely had this moment where I'd be like, all right, You've tried your best. You're obviously not a very You're good obviously triathlete. <laughs> so, and so I just like came to this decision. I'm like, finish this race because you're not going to drop out in the middle of anything. Finish this race the best of your ability, and then you can just get rid of your bike and just swim and run, or right. just run. You know, because I at the time I was I was enjoying running and getting better at it still because I hadn't run very much in college. I'd just gotten a taste of it. So uh, I I came to that decision and. It was like a big load came off my shoulders and I just finished the bike ride feeling kind of happy and had lost count, wasn't paying attention to results anymore. Started running, caught a few people, which I usually would do, um, caught a few more people. And then all of a sudden around three or four miles, I'm like, what's that motorcycle doing in the middle of the road next to that girl? And then I like, got a little closer. I'm like, oh my God, that's Jan Ripple. That's that's the lead motorcycle. I've, let, I've run my way up to almost first. And I ran up and I caught her and I was like, I love triathlon. I love my bike. Okay. Uh, so, but the lesson I really do think was like, I was putting so much pressure right. on myself that I wasn't just allowing myself to, you know, race to my best of my ability. I was like all tied up and anxious and thinking about results instead of thinking about the process and, you know, yeah, okay. yeah. so the stress and pressure is real and yeah, just learning to like let go of that a little bit and concentrate on the moment. So after you know? that though, I take it you, uh, you didn't really go back to the computer job. I did not. So right. Um, it, it, to be honest, they did my to go company, out of business, <laughs> uh, closed up shop at anyway. So um, they decided to, you know, I was able to do a little bit of consulting work um, uh, through them freelance kind of, which um, kind of made the, the transition easier. But what was great was back then it was still, um, there was still that kind of amateur mm. status status in the eighties. So I, while I was working and I was earning prize money, I put it into a trust fund. That's how you got around the amateur oh, really? thing. And, um, you know, the money was still yours, but you couldn't access it. You, you could access it for certain things. Um, and uh, I thought, you know, I don't even know why I was doing it. I just kind of, I wasn't really thinking, oh, well, you're going to be an Olympian one day. But I thought, you know, I, I knew about the Olympic trials for the marathon. I'm like, I'd like to try and run in that. You know, that would be kind of cool. And, um, so I thought, why not? I don't need the money right now. So might as well keep my amateur status. And I think finally by 
I can't remember the exact timing, but early '90s, I think they finally just right. did away with it and um, you know allowed for professional. Oh, so that was. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. You don't even think about yeah, that anymore because, so, like, obviously, yeah. Yeah, it's hard to yeah, even yeah, remember yeah. that that was the, the big case, thing, yeah. right? Yeah. So, um, I mean, that's what college athletes will say <laughs> one day. Yeah, remember that when we weren't allowed to make yeah. money? <laughs> um, but anyway, so um, um, it, I, it was great that I had financial stability mm-hmm. by then. You know, I'd, co- I'd collected a whole bunch of, you know, money while I was doing both. And so I didn't have the same financial uh, pressure and hardship that some of the current right. pros must have just to break into the pro ranks. Now you have to, you know, spend a few years not making right, anything, right. you know, and you can't do it with a full-time job. Um, I imagine anyway, cause people are just too advanced and in their training. And so, so you had a little bit of a cushion kind of, and a runway. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. 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 And you know, it, it helped that I already had like a really good swim background, obviously. Um, and, you know, the running doesn't take as much time. And so really was just kind of, yeah, having to learn to bike. And so I was sort of able to, to do both for the first few years and still continue to get better. So after you uh, kind of so, like, all right, you you don't have your computer job anymore. You're going to be like a full-time pro, tap into that trust fund. Uh, I mean, what is what is being a full-time pro like in the early 90s? Like, was there, were there circuits? <laughs> were there sponsors? How did that work? <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, there were quite a lot of races, Um, you know, in the 90s, it was kind of a heyday Mm -hmm. in some ways, you know, maybe not the way it is now in terms of organization. You know, the World World Cup Series started in the, um, I think I did it in 90, um, when was that, maybe 92 or 3, maybe they started the World Cup Series. And we, you know, the, the pro um, unions that has been right. going on forever. Um, I've been you know, part of many um, uh, efforts, yeah. ill-fated attempts at unionizing and getting our own circuit. So there was something called the Pro Tour, which happened to have, I. that's how I learned about some cool races. Um, but I also, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not one to, I don't know, I, I like to get along <laughs> with everybody. So I was also like, you know, well, I want the ITU to succeed too, but I just want them to allow us to, you know, have sponsors and things. So we, we were constantly having a little bit of uh, fighting and stuff. But um, I ended up, you know, following some of the World Cup races, which was cool. And to be honest, the best thing was my husband was also a triathlete. He wasn't a pro, but he was an amateur. Uh. And um, he would train with me. We were pretty, you know, compatible on the bike and and running to some degree. <laughs> and um, he couldn't swim. But <laughs> um, so we would travel around to these races and it was just a blast. I mean, the 90s for me, you know, we went to, I went to Ireland. I went to Europe, many different places. I went to Australia for the... Um, they actually, it was called the World Cup, even though it wasn't ITU um, on the Gold Coast there. Um yeah, uh, South America. Yeah. So just finding cool races to go to was one of my things. Um, but also with, you know, decent prize money and yeah, there was, yeah, you would just kind of look at what there was to do and then try and figure out, you know, races you might be able to, if you were in Europe to do two or three in a row, so you didn't have to travel, you know, back and forth too much. Um, usually I would look at where the world IT world championships mm-hmm. were because that became a big goal of mine. And I didn't start doing long distance until 1993. So um, I, in the you know late 80s and early 90s, it was just really going around. I could do two or three Olympic distances per hmm. month. Um, so I loved to go race. everywhere. Yeah. I did a lot of racing. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
And then, it, yeah, it got a little trickier fitting things in when I started doing Iron Man because, you, you know, I couldn't race quite as much because I had to do that stupid <laughs> You're like, oh, yeah, that thing. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so then I would try and figure out, okay, well, how do I do both IT Worlds and Hawaii now that I'm doing that? And so that's how I ended up trying to, you know, in 94 – uh, the Ironman was six weeks before ITU Worlds were in New Zealand. And um, six weeks, it was tricky because I ended up, what I ended up doing was training oh, too right. hard in between. And so I learned my lesson. And so the following year, when there were five weeks, I'm like, okay, I have even less time, so less training, and I'm not going to overdo it. I'm just going to rely on my Hawaii fitness, you know, yeah. fitness and just recover and just get a little speed back. And and I happened to do it right. You, I mean, you pretty much coached yourself this whole time, like forever, right? Yeah, yeah. I had a little bit of, um, you know, I joined a running mm. club when I came to Boston. And um, so I got a little bit of help from occasional running coaches. Um, but yeah, as far as putting it all together, I mean, there weren't really triathlon right. coaches. We had, we kind of learned it the hard way, <laughs> um, if really. And uh you know, it's, it's funny. I just did a little TEDx talk and about, um, and it's about learning things the hard way. Basically, is at racing while female was the the TEDx event was in honor right. of uh, fifty years of Title Nine, and uh, so I talk about all the things <laughs> that I really just had to <laughs> figure out on my own. I was gonna say, what were like uh, some mistakes or, or things you learned the hard way? Well, well, in terms of like nutrition, right. I mean, I I could talk to other people, which is what I did, but. My first Hawaii, I had this thing in my head that my stomach is really finicky and that there's no way I'll be able to take in any calories during the run. I'll just do it on water. Now, anybody in their right mind right now would tell you that's ridiculous. <laughs> you can't do that. But at the time, I just thought, well, no, I'm going to eat on the bike and then, yeah, I'll, I'll be I'll good. Just, yeah drink a lot of ice water, you know? So, um, and I'd heard little bits and pieces, you know, you hear, and this is kind of a common fallacy that, um, you can drink Coke, but don't do it till mile yeah, 20, yeah. like save it for the last 10 K because if you do it early, it'll like run out on you. You'll like, you'll, you'll have a sugar high and then yep. you'll bonk or something like that. I don't know what the exact reasoning was. So I had that in the back of my head that maybe if I was desperate, I could take a Coke at, you know, 20 mile mark. And so during the race, I, um, on the bike, I'd, you know, taken in stuff, whatever I got off the bike and I, I felt pretty good on the run and first, um, eight miles I was motoring along and, um, it, all of a sudden it, around eight, you know, probably about an hour running that just kind of matches up with, you know, having used up all <laughs> my <laughs> glycogen that I'd put in before. And, uh, all of a sudden it was like the energizer bunny just, just done <laughs> running out of batteries. You know, I just went and was that like slowed down to a walk almost. And, I remember thinking, wow, this Iron Man stuff is a lot harder than I thought. Like, what, what am I going to do? I've got so many more miles and I'm just, I'm just didn't train enough. You know, my legs are heavy. I feel awful. And it's something just kind of finally clicked. It's like, well, maybe you should just try some calories, even though you know you can't, but just try it. And I took a Coke and it was almost immediate within about 
30 seconds, I was like, oh, God, thank God I can run again. But I only got enough in me to get me like a half right. a mile. So I ran a half mile feeling good. And then all of a sudden I <laughs> fell apart again. I could just, you know, dragged myself to the next aid station, chugged another Coke. And the next time I could run like two thirds of a mile, you know, so I gradually built up my sugar over the course of the next four or five miles until I could finally make it aid station to aid station. Oh, man. So, anyway, that <laughs> was... That was definitely okay. learning things the hard way. <laughs> oh, it's, it is funny thinking like how much, uh, yeah, you guys were figuring out as you were going for sure. Yeah. 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 And you know, a lot of it was shared, um, knowledge, you know, we, um, in my TED talk, I talk about trying to find a bike saddle that was right. comfortable and, you know, a lot of the bikes back then, they put the same saddle on both, you know, they didn't even have women's mm -hmm. bikes, you know, it was, you got the same bike, male or female sometimes, and the saddles really weren't that different. And, um, when I finally discovered a Terry saddle, which was like made for women with like a really soft nose and a cutout and a little bit wider in the back, I was like, Oh my God, please, Jesus. <laughs> like, this is making all the difference in the world. But I, I mentioned about how one of the, uh, when I was, you know, talking to other people about what they do, and I, I won't mention her name, but a good friend of mine said that she would take sponges from the aid stations and stick them in the crotch okay. of her bathing suit for extra padding. And then she would just exchange it for a new one because, you know, the cold water kind of felt good. And I was like, oh, my God, they're reusing oh, yeah, those they're sponges and people are putting them over their heads. Oh, the sponges are dirty. The sponges are still dirty to this yeah. day. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you also, I mean, you came, I mean, you also came back from a lot of different things. Like, obviously, we've just kind of talked about, you know, like all worked out for you easily. But I've, you had like a free thing where you sliced your hamstring, like a window fell on you. You had thyroid cancer. You obviously had uh, had a couple kids in there, too, and, and got back to training. Um, and each of those times, I think you had to like rebuild, right? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, it sounds a lot worse. Some of the things that happened to me in, in uh, you know, when you say, oh, I was hit by an 18 wheeler or something, you know, it, it sounds really, really bad. And it was definitely scary as can be. But the injuries that I had from most of my setbacks um, were all things that I could make basically full recoveries right. from. So, um yeah. And they came one at a time, even though it was in kind of a packed in period. So it started in 97. And um, up until that time, I really hadn't ever been out for injury or um, any, you know, real bad illness or accident or anything. So I was feeling pretty blessed. And I was at the top of my career. I'd finished, you know, won the both of, of those big events in 95. 96, I had gone back to Hawaii and um uh, gotten third, even though I was really in the best shape of my life. Like I, I made mistakes, nutrition mistakes there. And I, that one, I, it didn't sit well with me. I was like, Oh, I got to do that again. Like I know I was capable of winning that year. Whereas 95, I was just sort of took me by <laughs> surprise in some ways. But, um, yeah, so 96, I was like, Oh, I want to do over right away. But at the same time, um, I was in my mid thirties and my husband and I definitely wanted to start a family and, you know, the clock starts ticking a little bit and I'm also trying to figure out, okay, um, it's finally in the Olympics for 2000. Right. So that was on the, I'm like, do I have time to have a baby and come back before the Olympics? And, you know, I'd kind of, um, been the top American at the Olympic distance for, um, you know, seven or eight years I'd won the nationals in a row. So, 
Um, I was feeling like I, you know, had a good shot at making that team, even though I was getting up there in years. <laughs> um, so that was all, you know, stuff we've been talking about. And I'm like, you know, I, I just, after that, if maybe if I'd won in 96, I would have been like, yeah, let's have a baby. But I was like, you know, I think I need to, to do it again in 97 and, you know, make up for that bad race. And, um, but anyway, uh, what, as luck would have it, <laughs> uh, the storm window, um, I was changing it, like lifting it over my head and it broke. The glass just fell all around me and a piece, oh. a shard. Thank God I blocked my neck because I actually have a scar on my arm right where I put it up to block my neck. Um, so a piece of glass could have gone right through my neck and I wouldn't be talking to you today. But luckily uh, it just caught my hamstring and it actually went right through the hamstring. Um, so that was in the beginning of 97. I was actually in shape to go do, I was leaving the next day to go fly to do a uh, world cup in Monte Carlo and then stay for a couple of weeks and do, um, Ironman Germany. So, which was then wrong right. at the time, but anyway, so I didn't make that plane trip, but, um, found out that the rehab, they sewed my hamstring back together and put me in a cast and said, uh, yeah, it'll probably be six months before you're back running. So my husband and I figured out that a nine-month maternity leave was a pretty good layover <laughs> onto that. So we got right to work. Okay, so, so it worked out. My uh, my daughter was born just about nine months later. <laughs> and um, so, you know, that kind of, you know, in hindsight, it definitely was a silver lining because it just presented that maternity leave for me, you know. Um, and so I was coming back from um, having uh, that baby in May of 98 and uh, it was about three months later, I was out on a ride training for Hawaii with a friend and got hit by this 18-wheeler. He um, was trying to pass on a curvy road where he couldn't see in front of him. And all of a sudden, a car started coming, mm-hmm. you know, at, in the lane he was in. He had to move over. And so he basically sideswiped me off the road. It wasn't a question of running me over, thank right. God. Um, but I fell really hard and broke six ribs and separated my shoulder and had a lung contusion from the lung smashing into my rib cage. Um, so that took me out for the rest of 98. And, um, then in 99, I was kind of making a comeback and trying to get, um, eligible for the Olympics. Uh, so I did, you know, boost, they had this ranking that they had instituted, but I hadn't been able to accumulate <laughs> any points since I had right. a race in 97 and 98. So 99, I was on a mission, you know, get qualified for the Olympic trials. Um, but also go back to Ironman cause you got some <laughs> unfinished business, you know? So 99, I, and I had a few good races was definitely coming back. And, um, but, uh, at the end, and actually I went to the, uh, Hawaii and finished second. Uh, that was the year Lori Bowden oh, okay. won and she, uh, broke the marathon record, um, passed me on the run. She ran 259 and, um, I felt like I'd had a good race though. I was pleased with my effort and everything. Um, and, uh, but I found out right around, uh, then that I, um, had an anomaly on my thyroid and that they thought it was probably cancerous and I had to do an ultrasound uh, or a biopsy to figure it out for sure. But in the meantime, I asked after Hawaii, if before I did the biopsy, could I just quickly go do this other race in Mexico <laughs> to make sure that my ranking was high? So I zipped off to this race in Mexico, which was a draft legal, um, Olympic distance and a fluke accident. Um, girl in front of me, we were, I was drafting behind her and we stood to go up a hill. And as she stood up, 
her whole pedal fell out of her crank. <laughs> and so she went down and, you know, just totally unexpectedly, her foot just boom, went to the ground and she fell off her bike and I toppled over her and broke my collarbone. And, um, it was a bad break too, like, you know, shards oh. poking all over the place. <laughs> I was in a lot of pain from that one. Anyway, uh, so I flew home from Mexico, had my biopsy like the <laughs> next day and it came back positive and I'm like, all right, well, take the thyroid out while I'm recovering from this broken <laughs> collarbone so I can combine rehabs. <laughs> oh, and man. So, um, yeah, that was all the end of 99, you know, Olympic trials coming up in April of 2000. And uh, so I just basically put my head down and, like, did everything I could to get the collarbone healed and um, recover from the thyroid surgery. Um, they allowed me to put my radiation treatment off until after the Olympic trials. So I had a few months to just get ready and, uh, managed to, um, to at least get to the Olympic trials, but, um, wasn't quite at the level I needed to be to make the team. Um, but that I did try and go back to Hawaii that year instead. Since I didn't <laughs> like, the why not? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I gotta have something right. Um, but, um, uh, in the training for that, or I had to then go back and do my radiation treatment. And they, they did a little scan and discovered I actually needed another uh, surgery first. So I ended up having to have thyroid surgery again and get the radiation treatment and they recovery. I realized it was just too much. I wasn't going to be ready for Hawaii. So um, that kind of ended my 2000. Year. Oh man. But, I mean, when people say like, Oh, yeah. it's been a bad couple of years, you know, especially less like that is a really bad few years there. <laughs> <laughs> it was, well, the, uh, the funny thing is, um, in, uh, the lead up to the Olympics before, right before the Olympic trials, you know, when I was definitely trying to still make the team sports illustrated was doing a bunch of, you know, articles in the lead up to the Olympics. And, uh, one of the writers is I Rick, Riley, um, who's uh, kind of a a funny writer. And uh, he said he named me um, the triathlete that's most likely to be eaten by a shark in Sydney (laughs) because of all my bad luck I'd had going into it. So I I think that's kind of a claim. There you go. It's one way to make it into Sports Illustrated. (laughs) I mean, how? I mean, eventually you obviously did come back. But how do you stay kind of motivated through all of that? I feel like a lot of people just be like, all right, man, this is it. Like that was that was too many things going wrong. Well, I think that was the thing that, you know, you have to think like, I had this Olympics, right. which, you know, I'd been since 1988, I think we'd been talking about triathlon mm-hmm. getting in the Olympics. And so it was all, you know, every four years we'd like, is 92 going to happen? And uh, no, not quite ready. 96, we were quite sure oh, it would make it in 96 because it was Lana, in Atlanta. Yeah. The sport was born here. Didn't quite happen. And um, so when it finally got in in 2000, I mean, we were just so excited. It was just such a big moment for the sport that that provided this you know, amazing motivation for me. And, um, you know, now even at the time, you know, I was old enough. I'd been in the sport for so long. I was 39 at this point. Um, and so I did have the perspective to know when I didn't make the team, I was like, you know what? I didn't make it, but man, having that motivation and that journey to go through at that time was a lifesaver for me because, I barely even thought twice about the fact that I had cancer. I was like, okay, what do I need to do to get to the Olympic trials? You know, like, okay, get this this uh, thyroid out. And, you know, what are the risk factors? And, you know, okay, I can take this medicine. It's not on the ban list. Excellent. Right. You know, so it was just, you know, everything was put in sort of the perspective of, um, 
you know, you got to get through this because you got something big to do, you know? And, uh, so I, I really look at it as this, you know, really, uh, fortunate right. timing in some ways. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, huh. yeah. And, you know, I can, I can, you know, I, would I have loved to go on the Olympics? Yeah. I think the hardest thing for me was watching mm. it on TV and seeing all the people that were there racing and they were all my peers and people I've raced against for, you know, a decade or more. And I'm like, they're having a party and I'm not invited. <laughs> you know, it's sort of like that feeling of, you know, totally just missing out on some place that I belong to. Be, right, you right. Know? And I'd had this huge rivalry with McKeeley over the years and, you know, she was vying for the gold medal and uh, I was like very wistful, but, um, but anyway, I, you know, then I take a step back and say, you started this <laughs> sport as a hobby and look at what you got to do, you know, it far exceeded my wildest dreams. So, um, you know, you take a, a big picture look and I'm, um, I have no regrets well, and no, uh, you know, no complaints really. Yeah. No, I mean, you got to do all kinds of things, right. You've been through the whole, yeah. the whole birth of it. You still, I mean, you still compete, right? I, I think you were still racing I pretty do. recently. Um, I, I haven't really talked about um, my current situation too publicly, but I'm not hiding it. I just haven't really found the right venue. <laughs> One of these days I might write an article about it because um, I, it probably will. I think I'm so, I don't know how many people it will help because I think I'm really one of a kind. But I, um, when I turned 50, I was still racing pro yep. and, um, I, I was still in the prize money, clearly not, you know, vying for wins anymore, but I could still sneak in for, you know, fifth at a rev three race and make some money. And I'm like, why would I ever do anything else to make money? Cause this is so much fun. You know? So, um, I was still hanging in there. And, uh, and then after the, I did a rev three in Knoxville where I think I was fifth and pretty happy with it. Two weeks later, I went to Memphis in May and I ended up um, feeling terrible while I was swimming and biking, just not being able to catch my breath. And by the time I got to the run, I started to cough up blood, huh. like like bloody phlegm. And I, I couldn't catch my breath. And, you know, it was almost like having sort of an asthma attack or something. Um, and I had to basically just kind of walk, jog the 10K and went right to medical. And I'm like, well, what is happening to me? Like, I can't stop coughing and I have like bloody phlegm coming up. And they're like, oh, it's probably just um, allergies. The allergies in here are really bad. Go see your pulmonologist when you get home. Okay. okay. Yeah. But that sent me on a 10-year quest. I started to cough up blood at least a couple times a year. Really? Only in races. It, I could never make it happen only in triathlons. It would always have to be, I had to swim and bike first before my run. Huh. And then it would happen on the run. And I went to several pulmonologists, had all these lung scans, had probably a dozen exercise tests. Um, they finally decided it was probably more heart related than lung related. And so I had several cardiologists look at me and try and, you know, different tests. Um, and, you know, they... I could never duplicate the symptoms in, in the lab. And so I think some of them probably just started thinking I was crazy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, some of these cardiologist offices too, I would go in and I'm like, I can only run seven yeah, minute yeah, pace yeah. instead of six minute pace. What's wrong with right, me? And, right. I'm, and I'm 51, right. you know, and they're, they're like, okay, lady, this guy's in a wheelchair and he's about to die. He's going in ahead of you. you know? yeah. <laughs> anyway, so um, I kind of ran out of steam at times. I'm like, oh, they, they just don't know what's wrong with me. And I, I swear that, you know, they're like, well, you're getting older. Right, right. And, you know, and I'm like, believe me, they, I, I started feeling like I was at altitude all huh. the time, you know. 
And it was weird though, because it would come and go. I'd have good days and bad days. And, um, but when I was having a bad day, I would be, I remember this one half marathon I was doing and I was like looking around to find out where the ambulances were in case I had a heart attack. You know, that's how worried I was. I'm like, this is no way to be like, this is not fun. And, um, so I, I finally, it was during the pandemic, I finally went back to this one. I'd been seeing Dr. Baggish at MGH, who's an elite athlete specialist, and he couldn't figure it out either. But his underling guy was very curious. And he's like, I think Dr. Baggish should sort of run out of ideas. But this guy's like, you know, you're too young to be having this. I'm like, oh, I love you for saying that. (laughs) (laughs) And so he's like, we we can figure this out. So I'm like, can we just really go and do every test under the book and figure out what's going on? They finally found out that I have something called hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. It's called, it's HCM. It's when your left ventricle thickens up and it sometimes causes, this is my main issue, it causes a left ventricle outflow tract obstruction. And it only happens to me when I exercise. So that's why they wouldn't necessarily, you have to be looking at the heart, like with an ultrasound, in order to see the valve all of a sudden not operating properly. And then you see you have backflow and you're not emptying your ventricle all the way, which means you can't refill it all the way. And your oxygen capacity just plummets. So now I finally know what's going on. Um, However, there's not really, it's kind of a genetic thing that sometimes happens early in your, like teenagers, that's the number one cause of sudden death in teenagers. That's when, you know, when a kid's on a soccer field and he drops dead, it's because of HCM. But I have a late onset kind, which, um, and given that I trained hard for 10 years while they didn't know what was going on and I haven't died yet, they're like, you probably aren't going to kill yourself. Oh, well, that's good. But, um, but I can't really race anymore. Like I, now that I know what's going on, I I don't, it's not a good idea. It's not probably safe to be pushing myself beyond like to that really hard threshold. Mm -hmm. I can do aerobic stuff. And so I still train a bunch and I'll enter races more for fun. And, you know, I'll still kind of push myself, but I, I back off when I get to that real uncomfortable. It's interesting. I mean, it's like. Yeah, it's fascinating because I always I talked to Tim O'Donnell last year and like, and you're just you're hearing more and more. Yeah, yeah. And, I've been following yeah. all those things. A lot of those, you know, the, it, mine is it's different. All, they're all like every, different. You know, yeah. I, I have yet to find. I mean, there was a basketball player that was just mm-hmm. diagnosed with it, a professional mm-hmm. who was cleared to keep playing, but with, you know, real strict, you know, they're looking at um, oh, yeah, a lot of things them. while yeah. he does it. Um, I don't know of many endurance athletes like at my stage of, you know, right. uh, life kind of that are trying to, you know, if you go on the, um, you know, there's all these like Facebook groups right, right. and stuff for, you know, I have my thyroid cancer group <laughs> and now I have my, uh, HCM group and, um, you know, most, a lot of those people, you know, it really impacts their everyday mm-hmm. life. Like they can't walk upstairs without having to catch their breath, you know, and I, I'm just not in that stage. Um, thankfully. Um, but I, I've yet to find anyone that's like, yeah, well, you know, how are you still running marathons? You know, people just don't do hmm. it because up until a few years ago, they really said, yeah, if you're diagnosed with HCM, take up golf. You right, know, don't, right. Don't, don't do, do an endurance sport. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting. It's just like so, we're learning so much more about the heart over the last 10, 15 years. And it's almost it's like bizarre because yeah. on the one hand, it just feels like more and more people are being diagnosed with things. That weren't before, but then maybe we just didn't know about it before. That people didn't didn't know. know. Just as many people had it, but they didn't know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I do worry about you know the you know 
the sudden deaths and the triathlons. Uh, most of the time, that's more like what Tim had, you know, the widowmaker type things or arrhythmias, which, you know, my my thing would be dangerous if I was having a lot of arrhythmias because mm-hmm. that's usually what causes, you know, the the heart to stop. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, so far, they when they monitor me, I don't have the arrhythmias. My main issue is this obstruction that happens when I exercise right. that just prevents my oxygen, uh, hmm. Uh, hmm. you know, uptake to be as good. Okay. So, um, well, maybe we'll see yeah, if so, anybody but, listening an yeah, has experienced yeah. similar, and then. Yeah. And it's, it's also, you know, what's interesting is it's not like that athlete, no, you no. know, which, um, as a matter of fact, you know, at one point, Dr. Baggish had told me, um, probably five years ago, um, after, and, and to be honest, you know, he says you are so unusual because your heart did not look like this five years ago. Like he's been seeing me for a long time. And he said, you did not have left ventricle thickening. And not only that, I listened, he ran with mm-hmm. me a couple of times to try and figure out what was going on. Cause sometimes just hearing how I'm breathing right. and whatever. And he listened to my heart right when we stopped the run. And he said, I would have heard if you had an obstruction then, cause you can hear it. And he's like, I don't think you had it then, but I was still having weird symptoms before like the physical part of my heart really had exhibited the changes Hmm. or something. Hmm. But it's like a genetic thing, right? Is what you're saying for you. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. And so I've had to have, well, so far they know it's genetic. I I really wonder, and and I must say that the medical establishment doesn't completely agree with me, (laughs) but I don't have any history. Most people, when it's genetic, you look back and you see heart attacks in going back through your family. None. And I have six, seven siblings, six siblings, um, and plenty of cousins and nobody in my family has it. So it can still be genetic and not inherited. Right, right, right. Um, yeah. But in any case, I'm wondering if the treatment for my thyroid Mm. cancer, um, because you're on an artificial hormone and they have my TSH thyroid stimulating hormone was near zero, which means that you're what they call subclinical hyperthyroid. And I, I was treated like that for a good 15 years. Yeah, at least. And um, that they know that that's not good for your mm. heart. Nowadays, they're like, oh, God, your your risk of heart problem oh, interesting. is much worse interesting. than your risk of thyroid cancer recurring. So we would we never do that. keep mm. you on that dose at now. So I've reduced my dose, and I'm hoping that there's a chance that my heart might remodel um, oh, once I get off the you know higher dose. But um, so far it hasn't really shown up as helping. Huh. Well, this is crazy. <laughs> yeah. Hope springs there eternal. There you go. Yeah. I can, st- I can still go for that, you know, 80 year old age group, uh, record in Hawaii if it, <laughs> my heart eventually reacts. <laughs> all right. All right. But you're still, um, able to do stuff and you're still obviously yeah, coaching yeah. a lot of still, athletes. You know, and... I just have changed to doing things more for right. the joy of exercise, right. which is hard for a diehard competitor. Right. You know, I, I never loved the training. I love the computer. Okay. You know? So um, it's it's definitely been a change. But my dog appreciates the fact that now I take her for every run and we just go out in the trails and, you know, I can walk when I need to. Right. And uh, um, so it's just a different. Um, my, my biggest regret, I think, is that um, I still try and train with a lot of the clients that I coach. Okay. Um, but I have a heck of a time keeping up anymore, like on the bike, even with drafting and you know, if we hit some hills, I basically just have to say, you guys either wait at the top or go on without me. And so I, I really just miss being able to, you know, mix Push it, it up with uh, right. my usual group, you know, so. 
Um, I've, I believe me, I've considered uh, the e-bike option just so I can uh, <laughs> just so you can hang out with my butt. <laughs> I was going to say because you're still coaching a lot. What kind of advice do you give uh, you know your athletes uh, about changing their training as they as they go through the decades? Yeah, yeah. Well, my my clients are just amazing. I mean, they are huge inspirations to me because um, most of them are you know in forties, fifties. Um, I even have a 70 year old and they are just amazing at beating the age curve. Like hmm. they, uh, sometimes they're still getting better year to year in certain, you know, workouts or, or, of, you know, maybe just their biking improves one year, you know, and you know, you see that I'm like, do you know how amazing that <laughs> is? Amazing you know? that is. <laughs> um, and so, um, uh, and they're still so motivated and, um, and we found, you know, they don't need to do the amount of training that um oh, really? that they used to do mm. you know you just train smarter and uh um as long as you can kind of stay somewhat consistent and um and be smart about it it's it's amazing what you can do as you age so you know there's always little setbacks um sure injuries here and there and um gosh the covid thing yeah, has hit a few of people and um but all in all yeah they've uh they've been pretty amazing and big inspirations to me <laughs> rather than the other way around. <laughs> all right. So out of all, like you've been at this for a while, what is the, uh, what's changed the most in like how many years? 40 years? Huh? Yeah. It, well, it's been, you know, if you say I started in 84, then 16 plus uh, 30, almost 40 years. Uh, um, so yeah, I guess, you know, that it used to be a lot smaller mm-hmm. and like a really um, close knit group of people that did triathlon. It's definitely got expanded right. now. And um, I guess what I think is probably the one thing that I wish weren't so is how dominant the, not that I don't think Ironman is fantastic because I, I think it's a great goal for people. And I, you know, I love what it's um, inspired people to do, but um it's gotten so much attention. Mm-hmm. It kind of captures the imagination of of the people that are like, yeah, the first thing they think is I want to do an Ironman to check that box. And it's just such a hard thing to fit in a lifestyle. So people go all in and then they burn mm-hmm. out and then they never do triathlon again. Whereas I wish that the Olympic distance and sprints were a little bit more, um, popular you know, counted yeah. as like being a, an awesome triathlete yeah, you know yeah. i think you know it's sort of like the marathon with runners you know it's like i'm starting running so i can be a marathon oh, yeah, yeah. you know instead of just like do the 5k's and kendies like that that is a really healthy lifestyle you know if you just train for that and it fits you know with family and work and and you can just you know sustain um that for sure. type of lifestyle so um that's always I the joke you it. like talk to the olympians and they're like at the pool and someone's like yeah but when are you going to do an iron man you're like yeah, right, right. <laughs> i know yeah yeah absolutely um so yeah i just yeah i guess you know if the olympics would uh um catch more of people's attention and just, you know, there's so many fun short races to do that actually do fit in people's lifestyle a little bit better than Ironman. Um, then I think that would be a good change for the better. If you were in charge, maybe you do one Ironman a decade instead of three or four a year and and then you end up divorced (laughs) (laughs) and you end up divorced. Oh no. (laughs) All right. So if you were in charge, like you were saying, this is one of the things you would change. Uh, well, I mean, I, what can you do? I guess mm-hmm. I would just, uh, I don't know how you change perception right. of, you know, things, but yeah, I just, uh, you know, people, that's the thing. I think people do 
they get into things because they like the challenge, mm-hmm. you know, and so they think in order to really be challenged, I have to do an Ironman. Um, but you could be really challenged if you try and get really good at Olympic distance right. and you train, you have to train hard and yeah, to be good at three sports, um, even if they're just, you know, a one mile swim and a 25 mile bike and a 10 K run, that's, you could train a lot for that, right, right. <laughs> but you can also train, you know, eight hours a week instead of 15, you know? Yeah. Um, so um, yeah, I guess I just wish it, you know, had the same cachet so that more people would, um, I mean, I, I do the, um, I do the announcing at the age group national championships oh, okay. every year and, um, it's a very cool yeah. event and uh, I mean, it does attract a ton of it's people. It's also very sure. competitive. Yes. Oh, it's oh my so God. competitive. <laughs> I mean, the, you know how many former pros are in the field and they're not necessarily winning, you know, they're. They are getting it's beat crazy. left and right by people that were never professionals. I just um, like randomly thought I'd do the like open swim last year. I was like, oh, this will be easy. Like, I oh, were pretty good. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, it was so <laughs> fast. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. It's pretty but crazy. Anyway. Um, so. Out of all the things you've done, last question, what was your favorite then out of all the different races and places? Oh, and- wow. Gosh, I just I, – there's no way I could pick this one, <laughs> you know? It really – um, it's the totality of it that I, that I've loved, I think. And I mean, there was a, a, a race in Austria that was just like, you, you were just walking into a postcard, you know, it was one of my favorite courses for sure. Um, and just, it was an event so that you would go and because you were all in this one little town, you know, or at least most of the pros, we would all stay in this same beautiful little, um, mm-hmm. uh, hotel and the set in this mountain setting and, um, they would give us a little horse drawn carriage ride to this other little restaurant with, you know, good beer and, uh, a really nice food. And, um, and then, yeah, you could see where the Olympics were held, right. in, uh, uh, nearby. Uh, they had, I think it was when the winter Olympics were in Innsbruck. So they had a lot of different mm-hmm. venues around Zeefeld, Austria. Anyway, so things like that, like just, and then I went to Ireland one time for world cup race and, you know, got to just sort of see what it was like to have, you know, the, Catholic stores on one side of the street and mm. the Protestant on the other. And you couldn't, you know, wh- half the population went to one side and the other half was just really interesting things, learning about different um, uh, places in right. the world and meeting people like at homestays, you know, from Switzerland and Chile and uh, uh, Germany and, you know, just families that I've met all over the world. Like all those things are things that I just really cherish um, and, and it's like, it's an instant bonding experience, right? You right. go to a, a new country and you don't even have to speak the same language. You meet a triathlete and they find out you're there for the, the race that they're hosting. And, you know, you just immediately become friends. And I, I do love the, just that camaraderie of the sport, you know, yeah. it's, um, pretty special. And, and it's, and I like, I love, especially now I consider myself an amateur <laughs> and, um, just the way that it, it is one big family with the pros and the amateurs. You don't get that in any other no. sport. Um, and just, you know, you're shoulder to shoulder doing the same course and everybody kind of has a, an element of respect for any person that's towing the line, regardless of how fast you're going. For sure. Well, thank you so much for coming and chatting with us about all of it. You've gotten to do oh, so many things. My pleasure. So. <laughs> 
No, it's great. I love to talk about the old days. <laughs> the old days. And, uh, and, you know, I mean, I'm sure we'll see you two at uh, Nationals, so, because we'll be there. Yes, 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 I will be there. Maybe even, uh, I might even make an appearance in Hawaii to jam. Okay. Some, uh, my sister qualified, so. Okay. Uh, and I've got a couple of clients racing, so I um, hope to be back there. So it's always a fun being back on the island. <laughs> it's always it's all about the fun, right? So yeah. <laughs> now that I get to go to the uh, thank God I'm not raising parties. <laughs> exactly. Well, thanks for chatting with us and, and good. All right. Here. Well, thank you, Kelly. Thanks to Sid and to Karen for all the insight and for everything she did for our sport. And thanks to all of you. Keep training and keep listening.